0: Good morning, good evening, welcome or welcome back. Matthew Grant here, partner at INSTEC London. Now, of course, innovation is at the heart of being able to successfully grow and evolve any business. But innovation itself is not just about doing clever things with data and analytics. In fact, one of the biggest challenges for many businesses, small and large in innovating, is how to be creative and do things differently to drive growth. Well this week I'm having a fascinating discussion with Raj and Katie who both work in insurance but they are also the host of the Risky Mix podcast and they talk to guests who are doing things slightly differently, bringing a different perspective to the industry, using their own creativity and looking at ways that diversity, inclusion and maybe even a little bit of disruption can shake up the status quo. I think you're going to enjoy this one. So delighted to have the two hosts of the Risky Mix podcast today. It's always a uh, exciting discussion to have with other people who host podcasts, and I always learn an awful lot from them. So very much, Katie and Raj, looking to talking, to, looking forward, I should say, to uh, talking to you today. So, a bit, quick bit of background. So, Katie, you train as an actuary. You worked at Swiss Re, then Vitality UK, and now you've got your own consulting business helping people with actuarial problems. Uh, Raj, you are now head of insurance products at Simply Business and you also some, spent some time at Vitality UK. So I'm guessing that's where the two of you met, but you are know, very glad to welcome you to the Instec London podcast. Thank,
1: Thank you for having us. Here. Delighted to be here.
0: Great. Well, one of my questions uh, to both of you actually, just to bring this one right up front, is having listened to a number of your episodes, I'm really impressed about how you decide who is going to ask the questions? Uh, so, so how, how do you manage to do that and keep the conversation? going? And I guess the test is who actually answers this one without both of you doing the answer. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so so, so I, I, I can take that. I think um, it's a good question. And I'd like to say there's some fancy kind of planning uh, to, <laughs> to get to that point. But actually, we've been quite fortunate because it's come naturally. Um, it's been quite an automatic thing. I think it's fair to say that Raj and I have got very close uh, since since we set up the podcast and we can pretty much predict when each other's going to speak and what yeah. we're going to say, um, which is a little bit scary, really. But yeah, it, it's a pretty uh, natural uh, transition to get where we are today.
2: But I guess that the key thing is that um, Katie's excellent at keeping us on track in terms of the things that we, we sort of think about beforehand. Um, and I sort of really like to get stuck into just having a, a good gossip with our guests. So that, that's another way that we sort of balance the relationships.
0: I like it. Well, good. So, so, what's the background to to why you started this? Is back, I think, end of two thousand nineteen. Looks like you've had thirty four episodes up until now. Mm. I mean, everyone's got busy lives. What what made you decide to go off and add some <laughs> some more by doing this? Today?
1: As you said, you know, Raj and I both work in the insurance industry, and, and we worked together uh, for some time at Vitality, and you know, during the time that we've known each other, we, we've we probably spent, you know, a bit of time kind of, uh, I'm gonna say moaning, but but talking about the fact that, um, you know, our industry is not as diverse uh, or inclusive as it should be. Uh, you know, we know that women still make up only 20% of members on executive committees. There, I think it was that the, the bonus gap in the insurance sector between men and women was 55% last year. And yet women actually hold 40% of, of global wealth today and we know that women's financial needs are not being met data is showing that women have around 30 to 40 percent less in retirement than men and and you know i'm talking about gender here but really gender is only the tip of the iceberg if you think about race sexuality background and, and other intersecting characteristics you know this is a this is a really kind of huge issue so we we kind of got to the point where we'd would be, we been moaning for a bit of time and and we said you know should we actually stop moaning and do something about this so uh, to be completely honest with you, Matthew, you know, one one uh, evening last summer, after a little bit too much wine, we <laughs> decided that a podcast would be the way to go. We both enjoy listening to podcasts and we really identified a gap in our sector for a podcast that, you know, encourages authentic conversation um, to really address those uncomfortable topics and, and really kind of motivate our industry toward change. So, in essence, the Risky Mix podcast is is all about kind of making the financial services industry more inclusive and and we believe that by building diverse authentic workplaces that are more representative of UK consumers we can create an industry that's not only an an employer of choice for people who are coming out of university and stepping into the world of work and and college and things but it will also help us to deliver more accessible and relevant um, products and services so that's kind of where the the podcast came about.
0: Well that's really helpful actually Raj anything to add to that?
2: I mean, I think Katie summarised that um, absolutely perfectly. I think key for us, the nub of it, is really to have authentic conversations with with people who are making change just by the the way that they act and they present themselves and show up to work, um, both within and outside of our industry, to make it a more inclusive and diverse place. And they're just really inspiring, um, really authentic, honest people who, you know, are real role models, I think, for people both within and out, outside the industry or potentially thinking about coming into it, um, to be able to sort of take those sort of behaviours and really implement themselves ourselves in the workplace.
0: A whole host of topics in there that we're only going to have time to dive into slightly as we talk, but but it's really sort of fascinating why you got into it. And that, that particular aspect about getting the, the buyer's perspective is something that when you talk about it, it's very obvious, but it's not always something that's talked about when people think about diversity in any business, but you know, particularly in insurance, recognizing that there's a whole range of people who are buying insurance, and it's all designed mm-hmm. by men, then yeah. you're going to get a very narrow perspective on that. Now, before we, before we get into that, though, I do want to ask you a question that you ask all okay. of your guests. So I hope you're ready for this one. But what are the three words that you would use to describe uh, Risky <laughs> Mix podcast?
1: Well, you've definitely put us on the spot there, Matthew. Um, so I think the the three words to, to describe the Risky Mix podcast, I, I think would be authenticity. Um, so we're, you know, we're trying to kind of create, really create an environment that encourages open and, and honest and authentic conversation. I would say boldness um, to challenge the status quo and, and Kind of undre- address those uncomfortable questions that we that we don't talk about enough, and I'd probably say finally, um, inspirational. You know, we're, we're trying to inspire um, everyone in our industry, you know, towards kind of change for for better, essentially.
0: Well, it is also it prompts another question that I'm not going to ask you right now, but I'm just going to l- ask you and let you in the background think about it. But who would be the most uh, bold and challenging person you'd like to get on the podcast to talk to <laughs> who you could really ask some some tough questions to yeah, and really challenge them. So don't answer that now. I'm going to come back to that later on, but maybe just noodle on it in the background. Uh, but let's, let's talk about this issue about diversity. You know, clearly, and quite rightly so, it's, it's a very important issue just now. There was a report that Lloyd's commissioned last year that was you know, it was really surprising to many people and maybe not so surprising to others, showing some of the problems with yeah, things as directly bad as harassment as, yeah, and behind all of that is all the other problems that you alluded to. Is, would you think, do you think insurance has got sort of problems that are differentiating itself from the other professional services industry? Is something unique about insurance or is this just symptomatic across uh, professional financial services generally?
2: I think just generally speaking, professional services has been very male-dominated. I think in terms of the insurance industry, it depends on sort of where you were. So as far as I was concerned, I I, I started my um, uh, career in, in Australia. And I think in Australia, the culture in insurance was one that I really enjoyed. It was um, very friendly. It was very open, welcoming, um, and which is sort of the, the reason why I, I continued my career um, in insurance, I think it, that's very um, similar here in the UK. I do think if you look at some some aspects, some pockets, there are behaviours that sort of were were endemic maybe 100 years ago, where when it was a fully male workforce, um, and that has begun to change, just not not quickly enough. Um, but you'll see the same sort of. Um, I think patterns, I think, in, in everything from investment banking through to to technology where um, you do, again, see a dearth of women um, in, in tech roles. And there is a lot of work happening to to um, motivate young girls to move into more STEM subjects, to try and drive that pipeline of talent into, into um, you know, tech roles as well. Um, so I think in terms of professional services, it has been an, an area that has been dominated by males, you know, you've got females who potentially have traditionally been steered towards careers that are more you know, in caring industries or hospitality um, or hair and beauty, as opposed to moving into professional services. So it's definitely a challenge that is, um, I think, industry-wide. But I, I definitely think that, you know, by tackling it within those different industries, we can, we can see sort of wholesale change, hopefully.
1: I agree with, with what Raj has said. Um, I, I do think the insurance industry is slightly behind some of the other um, professional services industries, some some of the other financial um, industries, actually. And, and I, I actually joined a webinar probably a couple of months back now that was was run by PwC and it was kind of exposing some of the data around the gender pay gap. And in the insurance sector, it found that the the gender pay gap last year was was. Twenty-eight percent, um, with a, with a bonus gap of fifty-five percent, which I mentioned earlier, but kind of i mean those figures aren't great uh, but more disappointing was that those figures haven't really changed at all over the last three years um but what they did show is how the insurance industry compares to other financial industries and they, they touched on the wealth management space actually and i can't remember what the figures were but there was a definite improvement in that gap over the last three years so for some reason in the insurance sector that gap is is not being closed so that's a bit of a bit of a problem
0: Yeah, stagnation in this day and age when everything's going on is, I wouldn't say surprising, but it's certainly an issue. But what about the insurtechs or the the new companies coming into the industry that are either working as insurers or working around the margins? You see that they approach it slightly differently. I mean, you would expect that anyone looking at innovation seriously would recognize that diversity is a real asset when it comes to innovation and new ideas. I mean, is there data out there that's tracking this or have you got any anecdotal evidence yourselves from the companies you know in this space?
2: That's a really great question, Matthew. I think there is. Um, there definitely is. I think it's It's a lot harder to change a culture that has been um, you know, around for you know, 50, 100 years, even longer than that if we're talking about some of the big incumbent insurers. Um, whereas if you sort of start a company um, now, or if you've started one in the last 10 years, when it's smaller, more nimble, it's much easier to set that culture um, right from from day zero. So, definitely, I do feel that um, you know you'll see in some of the the innovative insurtechs that are um, you know laying their roots now that there is greater diversity. But very importantly, I think it's because their founders and their MDs and their CEOs. Have the mindset whereby they are looking to create a diverse environment, um, and they're looking for people. They're they're actively hiring people who don't look like them, and they're actively creating a workspace that is is flexible as well. So, I mean, I think a great example is Louise Biriteri from Pickle who. Um, whom we spoke to a, a few months ago on the podcast, she makes a very, very active decision to, to make sure that there is gender diversity um, and diversity across the board and that the, the company operates in a way that, that um, makes sure there's flexibility for working parents, et cetera. And I think that is really important is that that embrace of diversity in a, in a culture um, from the from the leaders and making sure that that permeates through. I mean, I think uh, I put a, bit, a little bit of a plug in for S- simply business as well, um, in that we very actively. Um, try to create a culture of diversity and inclusion within the business we are still a fairly young organization 10-15 years old um, we've been acquired by travelers but we're still keeping that culture of trying to make sure that that we're embracing diversity and inclusion so um, i definitely do feel like there is there's great hope when it comes to um the smaller startups that, are, that we're seeing coming up today
0: yeah and for anybody that doesn't know simply business you you were and i think still are something of a Poster child for how a, a new company can get acquired by, you know, a large organization. Uh, probably until Lemonade turned up, but you know, certainly that was a very yeah. high valued uh, acquisition. I mean, you know, so it's a great sort of market for other people. Uh, but just I, actually, Taraj, to, to talking about another one of your guests. So, so recently you had Paral Carol Green, who's head of AXA Next Lab, yes. and you were interviewing her. One of the things that she said in that, which is that because, I mean, I definitely recommend that to anybody. It was a really it was it was a great discussion and actually it does exemplify what you said about challenging and bold because one of her comments was about this point about positive discrimination which i think it's mm-hmm. sort of touching on what you said with pickle and she was saying that actually she gets a bit annoyed with people or i guess it's women specifically or, or you know other sort of minorities who are against positive discrimination when it comes to hiring it's a very sensitive yeah. topic uh, but i now, there are arguments on both sides but you know what is your view on that is is it actually doing a favor or is it a disservice to actually start to introduce positive discrimination i don't actually mean from a regulatory point of view but i mean more from a as uh, an sort of executive team management team perspective on who they go and look to hire
2: yeah again another great question and i think you know positive discrimination isn't an ideal solution it's i think it's a definitely a um a disappointment that it needs to exist, but I do think it does need to exist because until we've got um, representation across the board within the organisation, particularly at higher levels, we're not going to get um, that that move towards a more diverse and inclusive workforce quickly enough. And um, I think if we, if we don't allow for positive discrimination, we're not necessarily balancing against what is um, quite ingrained unconscious bias within hiring decisions, um, because we'll just automatically fall into those sort of um, heuristics when we hire, which is we're looking for people who, who are like us and, and people whom we like. Um, so I think we we need to make it a much more conscious decision to hire diversity, um, to, to make sure that At some point, we'll get to a point where we won't need to be making those decisions because they'll be happening intuitively. They'll be happening just because, you know, everybody's looking for for someone who's bringing something new to the table. So, um, yeah, definitely sensitive um, topic and I think it's something that needs to be managed, um, you know, with respect and it needs to be communicated Clearly, in terms of the benefits for diversity and the and, and how positive discrimination um, leads us towards that more diverse workforce, uh, but definitely at the moment, something I think that still needs to be um, looked at as a as a solution.
0: I think, as you say, it's it's a philosophy about the way you look at these things. Yeah. You know, you know from our you know our point of view with State London, we are now building a business. It's it's always hard to make choices that I mean you don't get you know, the the best person for the role. If you're a very small business, but then the flip side to it is that you do get that diversity in there. You know, we, I'm glad to say that in terms of our yeah. employees and who are working with, we've actually I think we've actually got a more of a female balance, or at least certainly we're 50/50 in terms of who were who we're employing. Certainly in terms of male female. Um, just want to come to an, another another question. Just looking at what's happened in the last few months as people have been working from home, you know, we've heard a lot about the fact that that's opened everyone's eyes to the potential to work digitally, that I think companies realise they can trust people a lot more now to work remotely. It must also have had quite a big difference though in terms of, I mean, two things. One is the ability of families to rebalance the work-life balance between work and what they're doing at home. And I think also for... Men to realize that they can actually do more of that and contribute to that work-life balance without feeling that they too have to be in the office because that sort of you know the the pressure in the past is to be present has been there and actually yeah so you'd think on the surface that would that would start to make quite a big change but have you seen any specific examples of that
2: yeah I mean that's such an interesting um, byproduct of this pandemic is this um, rethink of the way that we work and live now. I think there's definitely been, there have been uh, positive aspects. I think we are finding families um, being able to spend more time together, um, being able to replace that commute time with with things that are potentially more leisure or more um, spending time with children or Potentially thinking about new entrepreneurial ideas. Um, so I think that is is really interesting. I, actually, something that we we found at Simply Business is that we are seeing actually um, a lot of people who are coming to us first first time business uh, startups who uh, have come up with business ideas during this this time, which I think is really quite interesting. Um, so a lot of a bit of a, um, a an arena for entrepreneurship. I think. I think that whole piece around. Um, a balance of housework between men and, and, and women during this time is also really interesting. I, f- I found that, um, you know, just anecdotally really speaking, um, even amongst my colleagues and people that we've spoken to, is that, yes, um, you know, men are becoming much more involved in things like homeschooling, um, caring for the children, housework, etc. Um, so creating, I think, a much better base in terms of the family. There is still something to watch out for in that making sure that that balance of work um, is distributed equally as opposed as to, um, you know, women having to potentially juggle more as they also take a higher load of, of childcare and um, and the housework, which is sort of the traditional gender roles. Um, but generally speaking, I think, you know, there there is, despite that sort of added burden of having to homeschool children, um, there are benefits in terms of that family time coming together. I think the other really interesting thing is, um, is that What I mentioned slightly before, which is that time to sort of think about um, career shifts, what you really want to be doing, where you want to be living. Um, So a lot of people thinking about, for example, moving out of big, um, you know, city centres such as London and moving into the the countryside, um, uh, thinking more about spending more time at home as opposed to commuting into into the office. Um, And and also uh, leisure time to think about side projects, entrepreneurial um, uh, businesses, you know, people doing things like teaching fitness online, um, you know, creating sort of knitting companies on the side. Uh, I think also that is is quite an interesting interesting, um, uh, side effect. But one thing that I think we really need to be uh, careful of in this time is working too much. I think another thing that we have found is that um, people are working longer hours, um, which you know, it's much harder to get that delineation between work and life when you're doing everything in the one place. Um, so it's it's much easier to sort of take the the laptop from the, the home office to the to the couch in front of the TV and keep working. Uh, I think we need to keep an eye out um, on that because it could result in burnout, particularly when we're spending so much time sort of in the same place, not really getting out and traveling as much, and also so much time on screen, you know, communicating with colleagues on Zoom and, and that sort of thing. So um, lots of pros and cons to our current situation.
1: I think um, I'll actually add one other the pro um, I think this time has really raised I suppose awareness and uh, around insurance actually because people I think for for the first time for many actually if I think particularly in the in the life and health space have have been thinking about you know things like their mortality their, their morbidity for potentially the first time and and you know these are people who may never have thought of this before perhaps they're, they're slightly younger they're not really in in the kind of normal or the typical market um, so i think another another kind of plus side is that actually you know people are now more aware of insurance and the value that the products and services offer which which i think is a is a positive as well
0: Or, or that what they don't offer in a few cases.
1: Or they don't. Or they don't. Yes. Very. Yeah. Very true. Actually, there's there's two sides of the coin. Yeah.
0: Um, So Raj, I want to come back to your point about mixing work and pleasure, and I've got a question for you. So if if I'm listening to the risky mix podcast as I go for my daily (laughs) daily walk, am I am I at risk of mixing my work and pleasure, or is that an acceptable uh, (laughs) escape from from? I'm
2: I'm hoping. Yeah, I'm hoping that's pleasure and pleasure, Matthew. (laughs)
0: it is yeah <laughs> yeah no, no, it's definitely it's uh, it's definitely very enjoyable so I mean, it just actually I'm sure you found the same thing but I've uh, been intrigued by what people tell me they're doing when they are listening to their podcast so for those of you out there listening to this who are uh, ironing uh, <laughs> Nigel Walsh is a great fan of ironing and listening to podcasts so he's obviously been <laughs> listening to the, the either the Risky Mix podcast or he's definitely understood the bad importance of balancing work and giving doing a share of uh, household chores just another question which i wanted to get your thoughts on so lemonade uh you're within the lemonade marketing and their uh you know, various other information they put out there they talk about wanting to make insurance exciting and be the most lovable brand for insurance i mean you've both been in this for a while and vitality you know i, I actually i think did a very good job of you know creating a a brand that you, you know, people could associate with and got benefits for but you know how far how far can the industry go really in terms of being loved and exciting. Is, is, that, is that what it should be aiming for? It Should it just be aiming to be there to pay the claims and, and look after you when you, when you need it?
1: Yeah. So that is a good question. Um, so I find insurance incredibly exciting, but I, I think if I didn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't work in the sector. Um, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm really passionate about things like life and health insurance in particular because I just think those products can absolutely transform lives. Um, you know, when bad things happen. And I do realise, though, that consumers who are outside of our industry do not see insurance in that way at all. And it's, it's you know, that those old sayings of, oh, well, it's a grudge, a grudge purchase and it has to be sold, not bought. And, and various things like that definitely are true. Um, you touched on vitality and I'm absolutely biased in this because I, I used to work there, but I love what they've done. And I think... For, for the right person, the vitality offering is definitely exciting. You know, I get excited when I'm earning my my step points and I'm able to get my coffee and my cinema ticket when the cinemas eventually are, are kind of back open and, and people are feeling comfortable with that. But it's an exciting proposition. And I, I think the key thing is that you are getting it doesn't necessarily have to be health and wellbeing things actually. But I think the key for me is if you're getting tangible rewards from day one or tangible value from day one, from a policy, that's exciting. Rather than only having a relationship with the insurer when they step in at a bad time to pay a claim. So I would love to get to the point where people love insurance. And I think sadly people aren't going to get excited about claim events probably, um, because they are ultimately, uh, bad things but um i think if yeah if we can if we can design products and and offerings that that have these tangible rewards and and um things from day one i think that's how we make these these products exciting in my mind i don't don't know what you think raj
2: yeah absolutely i mean i think that that tangible benefit or some sort of um value that the company holds i think which lemonade has that, that sort of giving back to um uh good charitable causes um as part of their proposition i think is also consumers these days particularly millennials are very sort of um value-led when they make uh, purchase decisions and i think that is is also a really key thing but insurance is necessary but i think the industry has a has a really long way to go even even outside of the tangible rewards just to be more accessible be mm-hmm. friendly ha- um, create a better exp- uh, customer experience to make it just a more Pleasant um, initial interaction and ongoing interaction, um, but to your point, Matthew, I think the core of insurance is something that we, we really need. Um, and if, if you sort of think about a parallel to what, what we're experiencing at the moment, to be fair, it's not really that much fun to wear a face mask. But uh, if you think about the cool designs, I've got I've got one that's like got stars and moons all over it, and it's just it just makes it a little bit fun, makes it takes the sting out of it a little bit. And that's maybe a bit of a flippant. Um, parallel there, but I think it is about how can we make insurance not just provide tangible rewards, which is, you know, fantastic, but even just the basics, which is how can we make it more accessible um, and friendlier for for consumers.
0: Yeah, there's so much in there. I'm just, I'm thinking about the vitality one, Katie, as you're, uh, as you're walking around earning your points, you can be walking Mm -hmm. around getting fit, earning points and listening to podcasts at the same time, (laughs) if that's not multitasking.
1: (laughs) Triple whammy, Matthew. Yeah,
0: <laughs> and I'm also I'm very enthused by by your 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 passion when you say you really want to make insurance exciting. I'm tempted to go and ask you which parts of it, but you've answered some of that, and I think that might go on quite quite a long time. But yeah, just yeah. on that point about life insurance, I, mean, I took out life insurance 23 years ago. I don't think the company I took out my life insurance with mm. has contacted me for 22 years. I mean, no. that is no. really really extraordinary. And I, but yeah, I still pay the premiums, uh, so maybe they don't need to because there's money's coming in, and I bother unless I. Unless I die, in which case, you know, I'll be contacting someone else.
1: The, th- the thing is, though, isn't it? If you, you know, it's times like these, you know, when when crisis hits and people are, you know, are pushed to look at their their bank accounts a little bit more closely and really cut back on their spending, it's those direct debits that you don't know what they are and we all have them mm. that get cut first, right? So you see that you see that insurance direct debit. You're like, what is this? I forgot I even bought <laughs> this policy. That's going to be the first thing to go, and that's just not a good customer outcome at all. And actually, you know, that person might have had. A health event um, prior to that and they may now struggle to get insurance again you know there are so many kind of bad outcomes from that so you know i think it's it's important actually particularly for the longer term products like life insurance that the providers are really in regular contact with their customers and reminding them of the value that they're offering
0: yeah now i want to come back just to some of the topics we're talking about before because there's one question we sort of touched on but i'd just like to kind of get back into a bit more which is how, how to make insurance more of a choice for mm. women when they're making their career choices. And, you know, mm. There's always risk of making a generalization thing, but many of the people I know who are in traditional insurance companies got into it because they had family members who were in there. And you touched on some of this with things like promoting, doing the STEM subjects and you know, other ways to do it. But is there of shorter term way that the industry mm-hmm. needs to develop more quickly? And actually that network effect is still pretty powerful. And obviously it doesn't have to be, or we shouldn't just be through the family but is there something in there on how you kind of create you build on what you've done to bring more people in Uh, and maybe something a lot of questions in there but it's something companies can do as well to encourage more people to be coming into the industry from the outside
1: Yeah definitely I think I think there are there are definitely two points here Matthew there is the first one which is bringing more people in and then I think it's also the second point is keeping more those people in the industry so that so on the first point of bringing more people in I think the obvious one and what we've learned from speaking to many of our guests is this view that you know in schools uh, pupils are not really exposed to the insurance industry as a career option for them I certainly didn't know about Insurance as, a, as an option uh, when when I was in school and college and even university. So I think the first thing is to kind of get out to schools and, and kind of increase that financial education, let them know about the financial services sector generally. Offering things like work experience can be a huge help because it actually gives that insider view into what we do each day. Um, and, it, you know, and it, it improves and it and kind of grows that accessibility point and allows people from a range of different backgrounds to come in i think that's important i think more apprenticeships um are a great way to get more young people in um more m- more and more apprenticeships are being taken up because of the university fees understandably so i think if companies can offer those it's a great way to get young people in from a range of backgrounds make our industry appear to be you know much more accessible than it is um I think that's great. We, we actually spoke to a, a Gen Z, a very uh, young lady who was, who was just coming out of university actually, and we were asking her what her perceptions of our industry are, not knowing anything about it. And she said, you know, she said it was, she thought it was very formal, very stuffy. You had to be very highly qualified to come in. Um, you know, a number of things which aren't actually true, but you can see how she arrived at that that kind of view so i think things like apprenticeships and really opening up our doors and allowing young people to come in and experience what we do day in day out would be a huge help
0: good okay
1: there's a piece definitely around the innovation space i think in insurance particularly um tech you know that there are more women who are looking to start up businesses today and more women venturing into tech but what we've learned speaking to multiple guests on the podcast is that it is so difficult as a female founder to get funding um so there's a there's a report called the alice and rose review and that found that startup funding was the number one barrier to women starting and scaling their own business and as a result men are five times more likely than women to build a business with over a one million pound turnover so that's kind of looking across all sectors if you look at tech specifically um the state of european tech report from last year and these figures are totally they blew my mind when i heard them so this report stated that 92 percent of funding goes to all male founders only eight percent goes to a mixture of men and women founders and only 0.4 percent of funding goes to female only founders i mean that is just shocking absolutely shocking and such a barrier um, and and a hindrance you know against innovation and and Naturally, as, as a woman, I, I I look at that and I think, gosh, well, how hard is that? You know, how would I ever get funding if I did want to create a startup and scale it? That would be a, a huge barrier for me. So that's that's a, a big, big issue. So that's kind of getting people in and encouraging entry into our industry and also innovation once, once you're in it. Um, in terms of keeping women in our industry, because this is another another important point, there are two life stages that seem to have a huge impact on your career. And I think we know what they are. But motherhood is, is obviously one of them. Um, I could go on and on about this. There's so much to say, but I think to kind of summarize that the key things that we need to, to support mums who are, who are juggling being a mother and a career, we need to improve flexible working arrangement for women. We need to equalize maternity, paternity um, pay. Uh, one great suggestion from a guest was to have a, f- a phased return to work from maternity leave. Um, so uh, uh, it, it seems that many women go back to work because of the financial strain uh, from maternity leave. And actually, if if they can phase that return more gradually with a bit of financial support from their employer, it will be it will be a huge help to kind of help that woman to find her feet back in in the workplace and, and build her confidence, which is something that we hear gets gets hit quite a bit when women come back from maternity leave. Um, Female role models, really important, particularly at senior positions to kind of show that actually it's okay to take time off um, to, to have children and, and, you know, it's not going to have that huge impact on your career. It may have an an, an impact, but just to show that that's, that's okay to do. And then finally, sorry, there's a lot to say on this. The the final kind of life stage, I think, that has has an impact on women's careers is the menopause. It's something that we don't really talk about. It's a bit of a taboo topic. We've actually had two menopause experts on our podcast so far, one of them being a, a women's health doctor and they were explaining that you know, women over 40 are actually the fastest growing workforce demographic. Yet, sadly, one in four of these women are considering retiring or resigning. And much of that is down to the symptoms of the menopause and not getting the support that they need. So around three quarters of women experience symptoms due to the menopause. And this is just really sad, not only for the women who are having to leave the workforce and feel that they aren't getting supported, but it's also a huge hit on the industry.
0: So for both of you, I asked that question at the beginning and hopefully at the back of your minds you've had a chance to think about it. So asking you, uh, Raj, first of all, uh, in the spirit of being challenging and bold and somebody that you'd really like to take to task in a respectful way.
2: That's a tough one. Actually, someone I'd like to have a really good conversation with, not take to task, but somebody I think that I can learn a lot from um, would be um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, um, the young um, New York um, Representative. I mean, I think just her approach has been so interesting and so dynamic and so passionate in terms of how she's trying to make change. Um, and obviously, she's been a bit of a controversial figure. And I think you know it'd be great to sort of explore um, how controversial we can be and how we push the barriers to sort of create change, but maintain sort of um, respectful stances and and still maintain that sort of professionalism and and that um, I guess being really, really knowledgeable in terms of, of where your arguments come from around topics that can be so, you know, incendiary and can be quite controversial. So, I mean, I think I, that's something that I'd actually really like to, to have a conversation with on the podcast. It'd be amazing.
0: Well, great. Well, we have lots of listeners in the US. Maybe some. Maybe even Alexandra is, uh, listens to this, but if not, maybe someone knows her and who knows, you might get her it.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thanks, Raj. So Katie, what about you? Who would be the, uh, the guest you'd like to have on the Risky Miss podcast that you would either want to uh, challenge or have a bold discussion with?
1: So yeah, that, that is a really good question. And, I, and I've had a, had a bit of a think about it. Um, I think, okay, so I'm going to go quite big on this one. I think the person I personally would love to have on the podcast, and I can't see it happening anytime soon, but who I'd love to have on would actually be RuPaul. And I don't know if you know who RuPaul is, but he is probably the world's most famous drag queen. And he actually hosts um, RuPaul's Drag Race, which is a competition to find the next big drag queen. Okay. So other than it being pure entertainment, which by the way, if you haven't seen it, go and check it out. So it's it's highly entertaining, but actually it's just a really wonderful example of true meritocracy and, and how your talents, you know, basically these drag queen talents are put above everything else and, and being different always works in their favor and it's, it's an example of that and it's a place where everyone is accepted regardless of their differences and you just see people absolutely flourishing um and the, the drag community as a whole is is so caring and supportive, and and I think that we as an industry have a lot to learn from them. So it's not necessarily someone I would take to task because I think he's he and sh- she has done an incredible incredible um, amount of work to to make that community more inclusive and, and to help people see drag queens in a different way. Um, I would just love to learn from him. I think we have a hell of a lot to learn from from RuPaul and what he's achieved.
0: That's great. Well, Robert and I are looking for <laughs> ideas for our events. Maybe we should we should we should diversify <laughs> a
1: I'm not
0: sure. I'm not sure who the sponsor would be, but we'll figure that out.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's a bit outside of our industry. Yeah.
0: Well, Katie, Raj, it's been great to have you today. Thank you very much. There's lots of really great insights in there. Uh, we'll make sure we put a link to your podcast in the episode notes. But if anybody wants to jump on it straight away, it's Risky Mix, uh, available on all main podcast channels, I think, when I last looked.
1: Yeah, correct. Thank you, Matthew, for, for having us. It's been great to chat to you.
0: Thanks. Okay, bye for now. Bye bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to that as much as I did recording it. Lessons for all of us in there and a really fascinating perspective on how we need to continue to drive change within the insurance market. Now, definitely worth a listen to the Risky Mix podcast. Uh, And we'll be back next week with another guest who is founded and is growing a very successful company in London. I know you're going to enjoy that one. But please do also let me know who you'd like to hear on the podcast. We've got some great guests lined up, uh, diversifying a little bit, actually, away from some of our traditional focus but please do let me know anybody you'd like to have us interview uh, either at matthew grant on linkedin or hello at instec london and of course you can find out everything else we're up to at www.instec.london stay cool